can turn to the book of Hosea chapter 4. Cassie and Liz have encouraged me to shorten my sermon today. If you're looking for Hosea, if you can find Psalms, Hosea is about halfway in between um, the book of Psalms and the New Testament, Matthew. We'll be looking at verse number, we'll be looking at chapter number 4 here in just a few minutes. Beginning a uh, sermon series today. For the next few weeks, we'll be looking at becoming deep well disciples. Today we're going to talk about why our beliefs matter. Why, why it matters what we believe. I had an opportunity this past week as I was having a conversation with a sales representative that I do a lot of uh, uh, dealings with. Uh, he works for a ministry called Grace Ministries and. We talk a lot about discipleship, we talk a lot about church growth, we talk a lot about different aspects of, of the church, and we were talking about particular um, things that we were looking at, uh, I, w- I was looking at wanting to do, and he said, you know, our biggest desire should be to dig deep wells when it comes to theology and doctrine. We should be trying to deep deepen our people in their relationships with God. They should understand what they believe and, and be able to defend what they believe, but more importantly know that as they know more about what they believe about God, they will fall deeper and deeper in love with Him. So that really struck me, and it is my own desire also. So I began to um, look at this, and over the next few weeks we'll look at how to become deeper in our discipleship and our relationship with the Lord and know what we believe. I want to I say this, biblical illiteracy is one of the biggest problems in our churches in America today. The researcher George Gallup says Americans revere the Bible, but by and large they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. Listen to some of these uh, things that they've uncovered. Fewer of half of adults can name the four Gospels. Think about it real quick. In your mind, name the four Gospels. All right? I'm not going to tell you. They're the first four books of the New Testament. You can look later. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of Jesus' 12 disciples. Again, think about it in your mind. Think about Jesus' 12 disciples. How many of those could you identify? And I'll give you Judas. Just There you go. I'll give you a head start. 60% of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. 60% of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. No wonder, George Barna says, no wonder they are broken so much. People don't know what they are. Think of this. 12% of American adults in a, in a survey thought that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. 50% of graduating high school seniors thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. All right, now we, we chuckle at that. And we, we realize, you know, we're, we're all right. see, we didn't raise this past generation in, in church, in Sunday school, in discipleship. They weren't there. 
They don't know these things. All right? But think about this. If, our, if America, if the American public doesn't know these facts, then what's more alarming to me is this. More importantly is this. What do we know about essential doctrines of the Bible? What do we know about the deity of Christ? What do we know about the deity of Christ? What do we know about the Trinity? What could, how could we explain the Trinity to someone who, who doesn't under, know or understand it? What about the doctrine of the resurrection? The doctrine of the virgin birth? The, doc, the doctrine of Christ's incarnation? Or simply the doctrine of grace by faith? You see, if America doesn't, if the, if the average American Christian doesn't know these facts, then I'm certainly sure that they don't know these doctrines. So over the course of today, we're just going to briefly scratch the surface today and look at an example of a group of people who had gone away from the Word of God and, and how it affected them as a nation, and then just cast a little bit of vision toward the end of this sermon about where we want to go as a church in becoming deeper in, in, in knowing these essential truths of the Bible. And it's an age-old problem. Let's look at Hosea uh, chapter 4 there. The age-old problem is the lack of knowledge. The glory days of Israel are long past. 200 years earlier, David and Solomon had reigned over what was the greatest nation on earth at the time. David was the greatest leader that Israel would ever know. Solomon was the wisest man who would ever live on the face of the earth. David amassed a huge fortune for the nation of Israel in order for Solomon to be able to build a temple for the people to be able to worship in a permanent residence. God would no longer be in a tent, but God would have a, a massive temple that would be built for him. David and Solomon did these great things 200 years earlier. Israel was the, the nation of the earth at that point in time. They were the focal point pretty much of everything that was going on. Now, 200 years later, this great nation is divided into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Um, the Assyrians to their north continuously invade them and take their people captives and take them back into their kingdom to be slaves. This once great proud nation who was the, who was the apple of God's eye now lives in humiliation. There's nothing more humiliating during this time than for a nation to be able to invade you. There'll be nothing to do that you can do about it. And they take your women and children captive and take them into another land to be slaves. So Hosea begins here. Hosea is a prophet who is left there in the nation. And he begins to, uh, he begins to point out the unfaithfulness of Israel and how they got to this point. More importantly, he points out their need to repent and to turn back to the, the law of God. He reveals to his audience that God is powerful and he has a passionate commitment to his people despite their unfaithfulness. God is still standing there waiting on them to return to him. Look at verses number 1 through 6 with me here in the book of uh, Hosea, chapter number 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. 
There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. You let no one contend, and let no one accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. He begins in verse number 1 by framing his charges in the vocabulary of a lawsuit. He said, the Lord has a controversy with you. The Lord has an accusation against you. It, was, it would have been like the Lord was taking them to a, a civil court. The charges are offenses here. He lists them. The charges are offenses against God's law, particularly the Ten Commandments. He lists them here. He says, you're guilty of perjury. You're guilty of falsely swearing against your neighbor. You're against, guilty of falsely swearing like you were in a courtroom. You're willing to perjure yourself. You're willing to lie for your own benefit. He accuses them of lying, murder, stealing, and all manner of violence. If you look there at the end of verse number 2, he said bloodshed follows bloodshed. You see, the Assyrians had come in, and not only had they taken their people captive, they had offered up their God as a, as a way of worship there. The Assyrians worshipped a God called Baal, B-A-A-L. They, they worshipped a God called Baal. And when they came into your nation and when they took your, your nation over, they took down your temple and they took down all that you worshipped and they, and they forced you into the worship of Baal. And if you refused, there was bloodshed. There was great bloodshed. And he, he says that you have followed after the nation of Assyria and you have followed after their gods so much that you now have become a nation that is willing. You, you shed your own blood among each other. Now I'm going to make one of the most politically incorrect statements that's going to be made in any pulpit in America today and I'll wear it as a badge of honor. But I'm going to say this. These same Assyrians who worshipped Baal and who came into nations and they took those nations and they destroyed their temples and they forced their way of worship on them, their descendants today fly airplanes into buildings. Their descendants today strap bombs on themselves and, and walk into marketplaces and kill innocent women and children. Their descendants today want to, want to take... Uh, if you, if those of you who grew up in fear of communism... Uh, it, 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 has no, it pales in comparison to the fear that, that the, the world should be in about a worldwide caliphate that wants to be established by Muslims. Now, that's the most politically incorrect statement. Unless, unless President Trump tweets something today, it'll be the most politically incorrect thing that's said all day today. But I want you to understand that they are the descendants of these people here. And they still have that same mindset. Now... Contrast these things here. Contrast all of these things that, that God has against these people with verse number 1. God says this. He says, there is no faithfulness and steadfast love among you. You see, faithfulness and steadfast love 
are attributes of God. Has God ever been unfaithful to you? Has there ever been a moment in your life where since you began a relationship with God, has there ever been a moment when God was unfaithful to you? Not one. Has there ever been a moment in your life where even in your deepest, darkest trouble, where you didn't know the steadfast love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Never. Not, not even not in my darkest hour has there ever been a doubt that I did not have the steadfast love of the Lord Jesus Christ with me. But God says through the prophet Hosea here, he says, because you have become this nation of people and you follow after these things, I, I look at your nation and I don't see any faithfulness and I don't see any steadfast love among you. Reread verse number six here with me. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. He says, your people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, he accuses someone directly here. He accuses, Hosea accuses the priests. The priests weren't teaching right anymore. The priests weren't teaching at all anymore. And they're lit, they have led the people into idolatry, and they've given in to any wind of doctrine. They're just there. They have a position, but there's no power in what they say. There's nothing about them that teaches. The failure to teach the true knowledge of God resulted in the lifestyle that happened in verse number 2 where we see the lying and the murder and the deceit and all the things that go along with it. The priest had abandoned their responsibility to God. They had abandoned their responsibility to the people that they were responsible for, and because of that, the nation had fallen, in, fallen into rule. Now, it's my responsibility as a pastor, as a preacher, whether I'm in this pulpit or whether I'm invited to preach in another pulpit or whether I'm, I'm no matter where I am, it's my responsibility to represent the Word of God truthfully. And not just the pieces that I like or the pieces that, that make me happy or the pieces that make me comfortable, but the whole counsel of God. I'm responsible to preach everything that God says here. It's my responsibility. It's my responsibility to this congregation to make sure that we are doing things where we are becoming deeper in the Word of God. That's why you see in our children's ministry, that's why you see Miss Donna has developed Awanas here in our church. She has developed a, a ministry here. We have taken that ministry of Awanas, and we, we are teaching our children Scripture. Not only are we teaching them Scripture, but we're teaching them what that Scripture means. And to love the Word of God and to keep the Word of God in their heart for the rest of their lives so that when they grow up and go away to a university, they won't be swayed by the liberal ideology there and taken away and taken captive by what, by what they're taught there. Not that all are that way, but the majority are. There's been a couple of instances here in the past couple of months since we began Awanas where uh, Caitlin Carroll is one of our fourth grade teachers, and Caitlin has sent, after the children uh, take a test on their standard, Caitlin allows them to read anything that they want to read. 
she sent me two pictures here lately of children from our church who are sitting there in their classroom with their Bibles open reading what they've learned in Awanas and reading full chapters of, of, of Scripture. That blesses my heart. It blesses my heart to go into the school last week and to hear a, have a conversation with our, our math teacher in the middle school who pulled me to the side and said, you're the pastor at the Baptist church. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, my daughter is in Miss Diane's uh, class there at the church. And she said, Michael, I want you to know that my daughter comes home from that preschool and she tells us about Jesus. And she tells us the things that she learns there. She's not just learning her colors and her numbers and her ABCs, but she's coming home. Last week, she said her brother was having a fit, and she said she looked at her brother and said, when you act that way, you make the devil happy and you make Jesus sad. So that's coming out of our preschool area. It, it, it thrills my heart to hear that that happen. We had a conversation among, uh, we had a conversation among uh, uh, school board members this pa a couple uh, in the past week. And, and we talked about how, how important it is for children to have uh, some, some school before they get to the elementary school, to have some pre-K before they get there as a three- and four-year-olds. And the advantage that those children, when they're three and four, how, the advantage that they have when they get to kindergarten and the advantage that they have if they're in a home uh, where that's able to provide it and then parents are reinforcing it. But, but listen, what's more important than that is knowing that our children, when they're three and four, and, and before they get to Sunday school and before they get here uh, through the week, that at home we're reinforcing the, the, the doctrines of God. And we're reinforcing to them how much Jesus loves them. And we're reinforcing to them that God has a plan for their life. And we're reinforcing to them the things of, of God and teaching them the basic tenets and doctrines that we believe in because they're absorbing it. Now, my two sons can tell you that outside of me sitting them down and having conversations with them about how to vote and who to vote for and, and what, how you should lean politically, we've also sat down and we've had conversations about how you should live and what, you should, and what we believe and how we should live that out every day in our lives. We've had conversations on the way to church when they were children about the things that they were going to learn or about the, on the way home about the things. I've never asked them, did you have fun? Never, not once have I ever asked them, did you have fun? I've asked them, what did you learn? What did you learn? Because that's what's important. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have fun. We should have fun should be an element of it when you're young. But it's more important about what you are learning. And it's our responsibility. You see, these people that Hosea are speaking to here, they didn't have the access to the scriptures the way that you do. The priest had the scriptures. They went to the priest to get the word of God. Now you have the whole printed word of God. And if you are a parent, it is essential for you not to rely on me or to rely on their Sunday school teacher or to rely solely on Donna or Seth. But it is essential that you are reinforcing these things to them. And you are taking scripture and teaching them things. Because let me tell you something. Theology changes your life. 
theology, what you believe about God, what you believe about doctrine, it changes your life. What you think about God is the biggest single factor in how you live your life every day. Think about, let me give you a couple examples real quickly. Think about this. Where does life come from? What you believe about where life comes from has an influence on how you live your life every day. If you believe that there is a God and you believe that he had a design for this universe and you believe that he had a plan for this universe and you believe that specifically for this planet that we live on, he inhabited it with life and that he created that life and that he has a sole purpose for that life, which is to glorify him. If you believe that way, then you live a certain way. But if you believe that suddenly someday we crawled out of the sludge and we just began to evolve from a salamander to a chimpanzee to who we are today, if you believe that way and if you believe that earth was just all of a sudden just it happened to be in the right place at the right time, out of quadrillions of planets, it's the only one that just happened to be in the right place at the right time, and it just happened to have the right formula for, earth, for, for life to evolve on it. If you believe that way, if you believe that this was all just happenstance or circumstance, then you have a different view of human life than what I have. You have a different view of the value of human life, and you have a different view of accountability. You see, I'm accountable, I'm accountable to the one who spoke and said, let there be light. I'm accountable to the one who, who breathed breath into the nostrils of, of Adam. I'm accountable to the one who, who populated this earth with everything that I see. I'm accountable to him. I am accountable to the most powerful being in existence. I am accountable to the one whose voice is still echoing out in the universe. And even as we speak, even as we sit here, his voice is still echoing, let there be light, and, and, and things are still being created that we'll never know about. I'm accountable to him. That's, what, that's how I believe. What do I believe about where true happiness comes from? Psalm 16 and 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. Your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen, he said, you, speaking of God, make known to me the path of life. Your presence, speaking of God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What do you believe, where, what do you believe about where true happiness comes from? It, it impacts how you believe about right and wrong. Because if I believe that true happiness comes from God, then I'm going to live my life knowing that the greatest pleasures in this life are available through God and living a life that is, in, that is His and allowing Him to live through me, I'm going to be much happier than if I live in a way to where I think that true happiness comes from this world and true happiness comes from getting this job because it's a springboard to this job that has much higher pay or getting this home because I can stay in this home for a little while and then I'll move to the bigger house or getting this car and it'll satisfy me for a little while until I get the next uh, brand that comes out or, 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 you know, on and on and on. And it, it impacts how I think about what's right and what's wrong. 
because I want to live a life that comes, the pleasures of this life come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to live a life knowing that, that nothing in this world can make me happy apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Hosea declared the nation to be in ruin because of their lack of sound teaching. Look at America today. Micah mentioned it in his prayer just a little while ago. If you go home this afternoon and you sit and you listen to most of what comes on your television this afternoon on TBN, and you sit and you look for what they're saying in a Bible, you can't find it. The most false doctrine that you'll find is right there available to you on television this afternoon. And people go home and they sit and they watch that, and because they don't know their scripture and because they don't know their Bible, they'll write a check to that person at the end of the show and send them that check or send them their credit card information, and and that's all they wanted to begin with. Know your Bible, know your scripture, know your doctrine, know what you believe, and don't get swept. Do you know what denomination, you know what denomination most cults pull from? Yes, Southern Baptist. That, that, that amazed me when I found that out. But a lot of cults pull from Southern Baptists simply because Southern Baptists don't know what they believe. They don't know what they believe. And they're, they've been easily pulled into Mormonism. They've been easily pulled into to a, lot of these, uh, a lot of cults that are out there today that look appealing and look wonderful, but they don't match up the Scripture. So it's an age-old problem, lack of sound teaching, and we need to do all that we can, but there's an age-old solution. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. This is Paul's admonition to Timothy here at the end, toward the end of Paul's life. He says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Throughout this letter, Paul emphasizes the message Timothy has received from him. Paul is facing death, but he is encouraging Timothy to pass the gospel on to faithful men who will in turn teach others so that the gospel is preserved for coming generations. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timmy, it, Timothy, Timmy. <laughs> Maybe they were close enough he called him Timmy, I don't know. That's false doctrine. Paul's saying to Timothy, I've taught you well. I have taught you well. I'm about to die. It's your responsibility now. It's your responsibility now. And you are to take other men and you are to pull those men together and you are to teach them well so that in future generations they can teach others. I've had the um, I've had the wonderful opportunity as a student pastor to teach hundreds and hundreds of kids. And there's no greater thrill, and I'm sure Seth and Micah can attest to this this morning, there's no greater thrill than for one of those kids to call you and say, hey, I'm going to start teaching Sunday school. Um, I, one Sunday morning early, one Sunday morning, probably about 7 o'clock, I'd probably just gotten up and still sleepy, but one of my former students called me, and she was just overjoyed. And she said, guess what I'm going to be doing this morning? And, and when she left my student ministry 
if you said, guess what I'm going to be doing? I, I, it would have been anything but what she said there this, that morning. She said, I'm going to be teaching second grade Sunday school this morning. And I said, that is amazing. And I said, what church? And then it blew me away, the church that she said. She said, I'm going to be teaching at Preston Wood Baptist, First Baptist Church this morning. Now, Preston Wood First Baptist Church is where Jack Graham is the pastor. And I can assure you that they don't just let anybody teach Sunday school there, but they had vetted her and they had talked to her and, and they, uh, she was teaching Sunday school there that morning. I said second grade. I'm sorry, it was in the, it was in the nursery. But um, it thrilled my heart to know that one of my students was teaching in one of the largest churches in America. Two of my kids this morning from, from my former youth ministry are, are, are teaching and leading worship in one of the largest churches in the state of Alabama. I've got, I've got former students who are here in this church who are teaching Sunday school now, serving as deacons and, and doing those things. That thrills my heart to know that they are following through and what they were taught and, and they're doing those things. Now we have students who are saying, I'm called to missions. Some of the students who are sitting here this morning are saying, I'm called to missions or I've been called to preach or this. It is important what we're teaching and what we are because there's coming generations that continue behind us that have to know. I think about uh, in our Sunday school, there was a time when out of Martha Garner's Sunday school class, I think, Martha, there were probably four or five women teaching Sunday school here in our church who started out under your teaching in your Sunday school class and who were there teaching and teaching other people how to teach. For, for generations, it goes on. The age-old solution is what we have learned and what we have grasped and what we know about the Lord Jesus Christ and what we know about the doctrine of the Bible and understanding what is right and correct. We have to teach it and we have to preach it and we have to pour it into other people. Listen, it is not a lot of what we believe, a lot of what we hold to as, as Southern Baptists it is not popular in the culture that we live in anymore. But let us stop bending to the culture and stop bending our knee to the Word of God and teaching and preaching the Word of God and, and knowing that God, one of, the, one of the greatest attributes of God is that He's long-suffering and the reason that He's not bringing this whole age to a close is because those people who are railing against us and who are yelling against our beliefs on marriage or our beliefs on, 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 on other issues is because he wants to see those people hear the gospel and come to repentance. So while we have breath in our lungs, let us continue to preach the gospel. Let us be faithful to pick up God's word every day and read it. You say, well, I have a devotion that I read every day. Thank you. I'm glad. That's more than what most people are doing. But pick up your scripture and thoroughly, systematically read. Just pick up the New Testament and begin there and begin to systematically read through God's Word and let it change you. Those of you who are in D-Life groups who read through the New Testament, you learn more doing that than probably what you would have ever learned sitting here under my preaching. I only have a certain amount of time but you spent time systematically going through God's Word and discussing it, 
Be faithful to those things. Be faithful to your prayer life. You say, I don't understand Scripture. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you in the understanding of Scripture. Because we can't pass on what we don't know. We can't give to the next generation that's coming along. We can't give them what we don't know ourselves. It is so important that we do that. And my vision, my vision for us is, is to grow deep in God's Word. We have a vision right now for the physical of our church. On Tuesday morning, they'll begin clearing this property behind us, and they'll begin the process of, of laying asphalt. And, and there'll be a parking lot there with 102 extra parking spaces for us to take advantage of and for us to grow as a church. Our long-range planning committee will be meeting as this process is going on behind us, and we'll be looking at other aspects of our church and how we improve the physical facilities of our church. But at the same time, all of us need to be looking at a vision of a group of people who are so deeply immersed in God's Word and who understand the doctrine of grace and what Jesus did for us there on the cross. They understand that so deeply and have such a hold on it that it intensifies their love for God the Father and that they can't, they can't help themselves but to tell other people about what he's done for them. To be so deep in the knowledge of the Word of God that you can't help yourself. You just go around, you just go around talking about it. And you go around telling other people about what you've learned or about what you've heard or about what God has done for you. That's my vision for, our, for, for us as a people is to be those people who just can't be quiet. You know, the first year of your child's life, you can't wait for them to walk and talk. And then for the rest of their lives, you, can't, you, you just want them to sit down and be quiet. I want you to be those babbling people that are just running around talking, but, but knowing truth. Knowing truth and sharing truth and teaching others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I said that it's my responsibility to teach the, the full, uh, full counsel of God. It's also my responsibility every week at the end of a message to give you an opportunity to respond. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Maybe you don't understand what we're talking about here this morning. Maybe you don't understand um, grace. Maybe you don't really have a grasp of what Jesus did for you on the cross and taking your sin and being a substitute for you. Come this morning and let one of us take the word of God and share with you and show you how to be a Christian and show you how to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord and begin a relationship with Him. Maybe you don't fully, maybe you've done that and you don't fully understand the doctrine of baptism. Maybe you've been holding back on being baptized. Come this morning, let us explain that to you. Our, our membership of a church, come this morning, let us explain those things to you. Maybe you just want to pray where you are or here in the altar about becoming deeper in the Word of God and in the knowledge of God. Pray for a nation that has gone adrift and doesn't have the knowledge of God that we did during the Great Awakening um, a couple of centuries ago and how God's Word was so important and how it was taught in our schools. 
I learned, one of the ways I learned to read was sitting in our elementary school and, and, and having to learn to read and recite the 23rd Psalm. That's not been that long ago. But maybe you want to pray for a nation that's adrift that way. Whatever it is, Micah's coming right now, and we're going to have this time of invitation. Would you stand with us this morning?